Hello, everyone, and welcome to the, oh, you podcast. Today, we're lucky to have our guest, Rabbi Daniel Sharat. To start, I'm going to ask you the hardest question that I ask everybody. All right. Tell me about yourself. So, a little bit about myself. Um, well, I didn't grow up religious, totally secular. Um, then I went to... Uh, where, where was that? I grew up in Hollywood, Florida. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the, my high school is about a mile and a half, two miles away from the beach. I went to Florida State University, uh, majored in mechanical engineering, and that's when I got exposed to Chabad uh, on campus. And I was doing very well in school, and then I transferred to Notre Dame, University of Notre Dame, um, and there I graduated with a uh, degree in mechanical bachelor's of science in mechanical engineering. We're going to talk about that because I want to know if that has an impact on the kind of work that you do today. Now, you told me something interesting about your uh, kosher observance at Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, how many people had a kosher meal plan? When you were there? To my knowledge, I'm the only one in the history of that institution that had a kosher meal plan. As living on campus, they require you to order a meal plan and pay the university for meals. Now, in the fine print, they say they, co they cater to any dietary need and restriction, allergens, so on and so forth. So I went over there. Uh, I spoke to the head person saying, I, you know, I have a dietary restriction. Can you guys help me out? And of course, I, they bit. And they're like, sure, we can have, we'll do anything you need. What is it? So I told them I keep kosher. And they were like a deer in headlights. <laughs> and it's a very, in hindsight, the complexity of trying to have a kosher meal plan in an industrial side kitchen serving thousands of, you know, students with everything and anything under the sun. So they, they had the yeshiva there. They had a cook. And basically what we ended up doing was... The university would pay the yeshiva for prepaid meals that I could that are double wrapped and sealed, and I could just heat them up in the microwave. Now, would you go into the kitchen and make sure that they were doing this the right way? Well, they had this little place kind of stationed, and everything was sealed. And uh, I would just walk in, like I own the place, and just grab my meals, and I would just walk to the microwave and heat it up. I was kind of self sufficient in that regard. So, so that was like your first mashgiach job, then, to say. Uh, yeah, I guess so. If you okay. want to look at it that way, right. yeah. <laughs> okay, good. So as I was in South Bend, Indiana, they had, uh, you know, they have a kailo there, there was yeshiva, and oftentimes I would find myself hanging out over there and learning more. And by the time I graduated, I just felt really restricted to just to English translation. And I made a commitment to myself, I'm going to Israel for one year, like a really intense place. I'm going to learn how to learn and, you know, um, and one year turned into many more. Parents were okay with that? They were not. Um, they, uh, you know, it was, it was a roller coaster ride. My family was not supportive of it. Um, and when I went to Israel, you know, they thought I went off the deep end. They wanted to do an intervention. I joined a cult. It was pretty, you know, here you have this <clears throat> good looking guy. I played water polo for Notre Dame as well. You played water polo I like on, on the varsity team? Yes, I was one of the starters. I walked on. Really? Um, yeah, well, I, I started for Florida State, and I had a scholarship at Florida State, and I walked on at Notre Dame. I was pretty good. Um, Do you still play water polo? No, I don't. <laughs> no. They, uh, they were beside themselves that I'm throwing everything away 
to just pray all day, quote unquote. So it was a, it was a pretty tenuous time for them. Sounds like it was certainly challenging. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. But you ended up getting to Israel? Yes. So I did a small stint um, after I graduated for a surgical robotics company in South Florida. Um, and then uh, for the summer, just to save up some money. And then I went to Israel. I studied in yeshiva called Tehillah Shlomo. So one year ended up turning into four years. Wow. Um, living in Yerushalayim, Baruch Hashem. And I had incredible, incredible siyata de Shemaya. Um, and then, you know, I got married in the time. I was two years as a bachar, two years as a, as a younger man. And then I, um, we, came, we moved back to the States. We moved to Brooklyn, where I then attended uh, Tarvadas. So, uh, yeah, and then that's when I was like to meet Rebelski and, you know, go through the whole Yordaya track with him and get smicha from Tarvadas. Wow. And uh, after he passed away, Reisman, who's a current Rosh Hashiva, opened up a Kailal Haira for post-smicha students, I guess. And uh, I, was, I was in that Kabura for a few years. Um, yeah, and then uh, I guess slowly but surely transitioned into kosher supervision. I don't even have to ask any questions. The story sort of tells itself. <laughs> so yeah, so you transition here. And so again, your role here at the OU. Oh, great. So I'm a rabbinic coordinator. What does uh, a rabbinic coordinator do? So a rabbinic coordinator uh, essentially is an account executive. So for example, I'm in charge of a number of accounts. So when it comes to the billing, the finances, additionally coordinating the visitation rates and the rabbis, if there's any issues, either complaints from the company about the rabbi or the rabbi finding kosher's concerns in the company, I'm kind of the quarterback for all that. Um, so is there a particular area, field that you're focused on in terms of the, a grouping, a theme of yeah, so companies? Contrary to popular belief, there's really no official titles, but oftentimes people who have a certain area of expertise will get more of a concentration of those companies. Mm -hmm. But I think what's beautiful about the structure of the OU is there's not one individual in charge of an entire industry. So that being said, the areas I specialize in are beverages, um, produce, specifically indoor vertical farming or hydroponics. You said that really quickly, but because you've shown it to me, I'm not sure ah. if the listeners know exactly <laughs> what that means. Yeah, so uh, basically uh, I have pretty good expertise when it comes to bugs. Products that are susceptible to bugs are leafy greens and herbs and berries. And uh, so I deal with accounts that grow such products and uh, you know trying to quarterback in every company can be very different. Um, additionally, I speak Spanish. So I deal a lot with Central South America and Spain. Um, and uh, Do you travel there? Sometimes, yes. I lived in Spain for six weeks actually in college when we did a study abroad in the summer. That was, that was fun and interesting and challenging all in one. Yeah, <laughs> keeping kosher in the middle of nowhere for six weeks. That was harder than Notre Dame. Yeah, okay. I didn't have a kosher meal plan in Spain. <laughs> <laughs> and vertical farming? Ah, indoor vertical farming, yeah. So tip classic agriculture is kind of on a one plane, usually outside. Um, now with hydroponic technology, which means you can grow the produce with water and not need soil. 
and with artificial lighting that can mimic the sun, you can actually grow in a vertical plane, saving the footprint, so wow. to speak. So it's supposed to be more efficient uh, and space-wise. Amazing, amazing. What is something that you believe in that if everybody believed in, the world would be a better place? I'll answer that with a story I heard from Rebelsky. So his grandfather was uh, Rabbi Wilhelm, who owned, uh, I guess, a pots and pans store or something. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. Um, and one time he discovered that when they were buffering these new pots and pans, they were using fat from a sheep's tail. So he freaked out, rightfully so. It's trafe. Everyone's buying new pots and pans. Like everyone's going to have to cash. And it was like, I think it was before Pesach. So he ran through Ramosha Feinstein. And Ramosha thought, and he said, all right, let me, let's look into it. Don't tell anybody anything. So I asked Rebelsky, why not? You know, you have a real Shiloh of trade. Like, why not? You want to help Yidin prevent from eating Isser? So Rebelsky said, I'll tell you Gomorrah and Yuma. You know, one year, the Kayin Gadlul, you know, every year they go to Kadesh HaKadoshim, they tie the rope around him in case he dies, they need to drag him out. So he goes in, and he's, everyone's waiting. And the Rabbanim pull on the rope. You know, is he still, he pulls back, he's still good. So they're waiting, and they're waiting. Finally, he comes out, and the Rabbanim are all upset at him. What took you so long? So Rebelsky, in his poetic license, he was like, you don't appreciate my tefillahs, my kaisral, and this, and so on and so forth. I daven for a long time. And the Rabbanim said, that's fine. But you can't scare Klai Yisrael. You know, we have a Shulchan Aruch, we have guidance, we have Rabbanim. And this, if everyone was on the same page of fear, like the, that fear-mongering is not productive, I think just from the kosher's world, from the community, not just the OU, but for a lot of kosher's agencies, I, think it would, I would think it would improve, a, improve things a lot. Part of what I do, and part of what I'm involved in, is supporting all of our programmatics and making decisions about where we need to be where are people not being supported? Where is there fear? Or where is there uh, a space, a person, who's not being supported in the ways that they need to be? And so they're living with some kind of pain that, other, that we, we can be helpful with, mm. right? So it's interesting to think of kashras also, not just as a service, making something, sure something is kosher, but in terms of leadership, in terms of thinking about people what are we going to tell them? How are we going to tell them? When are we going to tell them? And making sure that we're taking care of the whole human and not just making sure a specific type of food is technically kosher or not. What is the most interesting thing that ever happened to you? And it can't be, I went to Spain for six weeks or <laughs> I got the only kosher meal plan or I learned mixed martial arts. So when I first transferred to Notre Dame from Florida State, um, you know, the, the Chabad rabbi gave me a parting away present, my first pair of tzitzis that I owned. I was putting on tefillin every day at the time. Um, and uh, so I arrived there, you know, on a Sunday, the orientation with my uncle. And my roommate didn't know I was Jewish because I just put tefillin on. I wore a baseball cap and I tucked on my tzitzis. And Friday afternoon comes and I just asked my roommate, do you mind if we can go to the supermarket? I just need to get a few things. Can you give me a ride? He's like, sure. We get there and I thought to myself, you know what, like, I'm on my own here. Let me make Kiddush. Let me do something at least for Shabbos. 
So I was in the wine section trying to find some kosher wine. And this guy walks by me, black hat, tzitzis, the whole shebang. And I go, whoa, Shalom Aleichem. And he looks at me, he's like, who are you? And I'm like, no, man, I'm legit. You know, I show him my tzitzis, I pull him out and I show him. And he's like, whoa, like, what are you doing? I'm like, can you help me find some kosher wine? So without missing a beat, this guy's like, where are you for Shabbos? So I was like, I was just going to be on campus by myself. He's like, no, it's, it's Friday afternoon. Like, you, there's a whole Jewish community here. Like, you have to come. You have to come with me We're going for Shabbos. So I look at my roommate, Kevin, and he has no idea what's flying. He's like, <laughs> what is going on? So I said, hey, Kevin, I'll see you later. I'm going with this guy. <laughs> so he's like, okay, just like call me if you need anything, you know? So I'm with this guy. He drives me, drops me off at his friend's house. You know, Jewish guy and everything, everything's fine. So they give me basic directions to walk the shul Friday afternoon. And I have long hair, by the way, at this time. You know, I'm wearing like a dark green, olive, like fancy suit. And I get lost. And I look at it and I talk to Hashem and I go, you know, I do all this. I go on a limb here. Hashem, like, help me out. Like, I'm trying to get to shul, something. Without, and I'm not exaggerating. The moment that left, the house were directly in front of me to the side. The garage door opens up. Five bachram that look like they left Lakewood pile out and go into a van. And I run over to them. Are you guys going to shul? They're like, yeah. I was like, can I come with you? I'm lost. And they all look at each other like, they're like, uh, sure. So that moment, was, you know, as I go to the shul and I get everything works out fine, you know, I'm just like, you know, that moment kind of crystallized like, wow, like Shem's really helping me out here. He's got my back. So the kicker of that story, which really makes it even all the more embedded in my mind. That guy, that individual I met in the supermarket, I never saw him again. He wasn't Jewish. He was Amish. He wanted to convert and nobody wanted to, con like, I guess he, they didn't want to convert him. But he brought me to the Jewish community. It was like a whole, my first Shabbos in South Bend. <laughs> So basically, you met Eliyahu Anavi in some kind in, of, in some fashion, some, some form or another, I suppose. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but that was very. Um, it didn't really dawn on me at the time, but looking back, that was probably a very crucial, very crucial experience that set me for the rest of my life. Amazing story. Yeah. Can you talk about things that worked well and things that didn't work well in terms of? you're coming closer to, to Hashem, like, what do we do well as, a, as an Orthodox community? And what do we still have room to grow? Where, if somebody had an extra million dollars that they would give you, we say, ah, for the next group of Rabbi Daniel Sharats who are coming off of being, uh, you know, water polo captains at uh, Florida State University without the Yamaka and Sitsis, for that next person, what should we be doing? You know, uh, a friend of mine once said, you know, Don Lekatskus is a mitzvah. And, you know, without going to all the marmakomos and the whole, the whole everything about it, I had a, you know, there's a correction in that statement. He said, you shouldn't be judging, period. If for whatever crazy reason you can't mind your own business and you, and you feel like you have to be in a position to judge somebody, only then do you have the obligation to judge them favorably. And... You know, people, 
in many communities where people don't dress a certain way or they're not pushing a certain stroller or they have certain hobbies or whatever it is, like why should one, they should be judged? And secondly, why should that person feel judged? So I think, you know, and I think there's a certain level of maturity with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I myself have gone through my ups and downs and throughout my process were, you know, super... um, That's a Jewish word, by the way. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) Um, There's my Notre Dame education. There you go, right. (laughs) You know, you talked before about judging people. Yeah. And yet, you're an RC. You have people who work for you who are out in the field who you supervise. Yes. And you have to judge whether they're doing a good job or not. So where do you draw the line between your own personal behaviors, let's call it as a mensch, Mm -hmm. and on the other hand, your responsibilities maybe as a manager? And like, do you act the same way in both both situations? Um, I don't, well, hold on, how much time do we have? That's a, that's a, that's a great question. Um, well, so when it comes to, I guess, a person to person, your relationship with God is between you and God. Now we also have been Adam Lechavere. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, I, you know, just understanding Basher Husham, like where the person is holding, um, you know. And I don't know Hashem's metrics on certain individuals. That's out of my Dalaramas. As a manager, you know, there are certain roles that and certain action items that need to be taken account of. And there are, you can have really defined metrics of success and what the roles are as a, in a professional manner. As a, as a manager, you have to, so to speak, make sh- as a judgment of whether or not a person is fulfilling these obligations. Those are fairly well-defined metrics. And if you don't have those metrics to define, then it's kind of important. You know, when someone says, yeah, I want to be successful at something. Well, how do you define success? Right. right? That's kind of where if yep. you don't have the def- definition of success, then it becomes arbitrary and subjective. And then, you know, then it could be get personal. Yeah. You have any questions for me? I have lots. Let's go. Okay. <clears throat> so how did you get to the OU from your illustrious, I, I, I friended him on LinkedIn, you know, beforehand, and I took a look a little bit about your impressive history. You know, you were a, you were a trader at one point, mm. and then a director of operations, and just like catapulted really to, you know, to high places pretty quickly. So how did you, but how did you get to the OU? A lot of davening. A lot of davening. Um, great, uh, g- great question. This is very specific to me. So this is really about, oh, you? But I guess it's only fair that I should share a little bit because you you've asked. Been, you've, been, you've been very forthright. Uh, I, uh, I've had a lot of help from above, a lot of siyata deshmaya. And um, I have met fascinating people in my career, many of whom have sort of put their hand on my shoulder and said, you know, you'd be, you'd be good over here. I, I, I joke around, I don't know if it's such a joke, that one of the things we're missing in some of our worlds is someone like the Lubavitcher Rebbe who could put his hand on someone's shoulder and say, you know what, you're really good with people. Go be a psychologist. And you also speak Spanish? Go be a psychologist in, you know, Argentina uh, or wherever it is and, and help Jews uh, over there. So 
Um, you know, we don't always have those those kinds of things. So as as leaders, we have the opportunity to put our hand on someone's shoulder. And and I've been blessed to have that happen to me. I just told a story on the OU's uh, LinkedIn feed about uh, a professor, a mentor of mine, famous guy, actually, Frank Luntz, who was speaking on Wall Street not too far from here to the Conference of Presidents of Major Jewish Organizations. And uh, he invited me to come because I was working on Wall. And uh, before he started, uh, he said, is Josh in the room? I assumed he wasn't talking to me because I wasn't even clear if I was going to be able to make it, you know, based mm -hmm. on the trading day. And uh, he's like, Josh Joseph, are you here? So I sort of like half raised in my seat, you know, that awkward half stance. And he goes, all right, stand up. You guys are all running your amazing organizations. This guy's wasting his time in corporate America. He should not leave here without a business card from each and every one of you. And I, I literally walked out of there with like Whoa. nine business cards. And it ended up leading to not just my next job, but the next two jobs I had in the not-for-profit world. What do you think he saw in you to do that? As much as I enjoyed my time, you know, um, in the corporate world, um, there has always been a different me that comes out. Um, you're at different nice. times. What's that? <laughs> where you're too nice. Where, 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 where I'm uh, passionate, mission-driven, uh, get excited about a cause. And uh, he felt that uh, my story uh, has similar themes to your story. Um, you know, that, that the choices that I had made to get where I was, that would be a shame to lose that. From the Jew within the Jewish community, and that not enough people were choosing to work in the Jewish community, to support, to run the Jewish community, and uh, you know, I thank him, Baruch wow. Hashem, for that for that moment. And I've had some great mentors along the way, um, including President Richard Joel and uh, and others um, who've helped me to guide my career to to get to this uh, this awesome place, which I'm. I'm really loving and enjoying. All right, we're gonna do some rapid fire questions. A little bit different. Okay. And there's no wrong answer. I mean, there are wrong answers, <laughs> okay. but we're gonna go with it, okay? How many mezuzahs in our offices? Oh my gosh, I would, off the top, I would say, let's say 600. Why does a round pizza come in a square box? So people could grab the pizza easier by the edges. How many traffic lights are in Manhattan? Probably 10,000 at least, not more. What kitchen utensil would you be? Rapid fire, a plate. Can you explain why? Um, I like helping people. Um, I like providing service to people. Um, and I find that that is something that you kind of need. If you don't really realize it. You could eat a slice of pizza with your hand but where are you going to put the pizza on? Mm. Wait, what, what, what kitchen utensil would you be? That's a great question. Um, I'm going to answer this one every single time differently. I think I'd be a chillant pot. Why? Because every week you can make me different, and uh, people love chillant, you know? So. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll make a good team then. Yeah. Where you could put the chillant on. On right? the plate. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> um, Liquidy or like thick? Well, you know, I have to understand, I grew up in a Sephardic community, so oh, it's, you have, to, you have yeah. to know that uh, 
different kinds of ingredients also go in. That's, that's part of the fun thing. One last one. If you could wake up tomorrow having gained one ability or quality, what would it be? I would say knowledge. Okay. Having more knowledge. Okay. Yeah. We're blessed to have you as part of the team at the OU, and we appreciate your sharing with us today. Um, what bracha would you give to the OU as we, uh, as we break? So, although we say three times a day that we would love to have the guidance of, as we had in previous years, and we don't have it to the extent that we've had in thousands of years ago, um, seems to me the OU generally is on a pretty solid and has pretty good guidance. And my bracha would be that the OU organization as a whole uh, should continue and merit to have correct guidance. Amen. Thank you. Yeah. Now you do have an interesting hobby, not water polo, but you've kept up other athletic pursuits, uh -oh. I think. <laughs> the rumor has it uh, that uh, I shouldn't challenge you for a, to a fight. Uh, you, I mean, you're always allowed to. <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't want to get you in trouble. I do. Yeah, so um, this is kind of like a more of a recent thing. Not I haven't been in it in years, so I don't want to. But uh, yeah, I have been doing uh, some mixed martial arts, mainly jujitsu. But uh, yeah, I do that once or twice a week, depending on just to try to. It's fun exercise for me. I'm not the type of guy that will just run around a track for exercise. I find that very boring, monotonous, and I'm not, and I don't enjoy it. But in a soccer match, I want to score the goal, and I get that competitive nature, and I can run a lot more. You know, just to do it for just because felt like running around in a circle. But if I have to uh, possibly engage somebody. It's a different, it's a different, you know, the competitive nature comes out. Can you show me, show me a move? Is it show you a move? Yeah, show me jujitsu, show me something. Like a flying arm bar? No. Flying arm bar. <laughs> no. I don't know if we have enough room, but yeah, sure, right. whatever. Um, all right, how about I not, how about I show you, but I'm not going to throw you to the ground. I don't know if that's... Uh... There are some people who would like you to yeah, throw right? me to the ground. <laughs> Let's try it. Sure. Okay. So jujitsu has a lot initially with grappling and on the ground. So mm -hmm. the idea is you want to get the opponent to the ground. So oftentimes, let's say if you're kind of going after somebody and you lock up, right? So yeah. let's say you lock up this. So I'll try to grab, and you see how I overhook my arm on here? Yeah. And I grab your wrist? Yeah. So try to get out. I got your arm pretty good, right? This is me trying. <laughs> so all I need to do to get you to the ground yeah. is take a deep, big step forward, yeah. and then I can throw you <laughs> pretty easily to the ground. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Very easy to throw me to the ground. Thank you for that. I appreciate sure. it. Yeah.